So we're going to continue this morning in uh, worship through the Word as we uh, continue in our study of the book of Acts. And I'm just going to jump right into it. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you know we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we will be looking at the book of Acts because we're only in Acts 2 right now. So we're going to be in Acts for a minute, and so we're going to start there today. There's going to be things that are going to connect by the grace of God this morning. You remember that we were talking about the book of Acts because we wanted to think about maybe what Easter is about, you know, and and that early church life, right? Like the realities that was facing the early believers in Jesus Christ. And often it seems like these 2,000 years later we can get discouraged by maybe how things are in our lives now or maybe you come to know Christ and you're very passionate and then over a couple of years it kind of wanes away and you're like, man, what's this about, Um, this following Jesus thing? And I wanted to encourage you this morning as we continue in the study that historically where we're at in the book of Acts, we're, we're about 49 days out from resurrection, okay? It's easy to read these stories and go, wow, this, then that, then this, but there's time in here, you know? You'll remember that in uh, Acts 1-3, it said that Jesus walked among the earth, raised from the dead for 40 days, giving many proofs and many teachings about the kingdom of God, right? So, I mean, he's, he's up, he's walking around, and then where we're going to jump in today in Acts 2 is about nine days later. I'm going to tell you how we get that math uh, later on in the sermon. But I just want to encourage you, like, these are the very early days. Now, you might not think that 49 days is much time, or you might not think that nine days is much time to become discouraged in ministry. Uh, but I, I, we read last week about how hard that can be, right? In Acts 1. So I'm going to ask you to do what we always do. Uh, We pray. We pray that God would inspire his word. We might understand it more fully. That I might communicate it clearly. That I might understand it more fully. And we'll be blessed together uh, through the ministry of his word. And so pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much to be in your house. The house of prayer. We come to you because we have nowhere else to turn. You are the author of all wisdom. You are the beginning and the end. And we confess that without you, we have no hope or no way forward. And so, Father, this morning as we get into your scriptures, we pray that you would open them, open our minds to them, open our hearts to them. Um, Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to know you more fully. Help us to discern truth from lies and your power from the power of the world that deceives us. Help us to be your church as we engage you through your word. We thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that is teaching not just us, but our children in blast. We thank you for your constant care and love for us, though we don't deserve it. May you be glorified as we learn from you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And rather than read, I'm going to just kind of Well, I'm going to read and we're going to talk through. So I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to talk through these verses. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is what the word says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? 
This is a story that is uh, famous in Christian history. Uh, this is the moment that uh, forever changed what would become the ministry and model of the church of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, some of you were here at a meeting we had this morning before service. We were talking about, you know, the discernment of the Spirit through the people of God. And this is where we get that idea the idea that in the Old Testament, God would speak through a person, uh, a prophet, a prophetess for a while, and that would be the oracle of God, but then you would just wait for the next oracle of God. And you had to always discern who was discerning rightly and who was not, you know, who was being honest in their prophecies. But here we have in the church of Jesus Christ this outpouring of what we would call the gift. We call it a gift because that's what Jesus called it, you recall. He said, if I don't go to the Father, you won't receive the gift that I told you about and he's promised you. But if I go very soon, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and power. And this is what we see manifest here in Acts chapter 2. So we want to talk this morning uh, through um, this idea and what it means to us. What it means to the church then, because we can see it clearly laid out in Scripture. What it means for us now, and we're going to kind of ponder that a bit. And maybe even how it was lived out immediately there in the church. So the first verse here, we have the very first thing, which is when the day of Pentecost came. If you've been in church for a while, you might, you might know a lot about Pentecost. You might be like, I know when Pentecost is. Maybe you were raised in a Pentecostal church, right? Like there's a whole church named after this Pentecost thing. Maybe you know people and you think, I know, I know what that means. Here's the striking thing about Pentecost, actually. Pentecost was one of three um, feasts that were celebrated by the Israelites. You see, many times we appropriate this as Christians and we say Pentecost is about us, and it is, you know what I mean? I mean, it is. But listen, Pentecost was an appointed time of celebration for the Israelites. I want to walk through that a little bit. In verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And we've talked about that. They were of one accord. They were praying. It's been posited they were probably praying for the gift that God had promised them, that Jesus had told them about. We know you're going to give us a good gift, Father. Would you give us the good gift? But here, when the day of Pentecost came, we see the manifestation of God's great gift. Quite simply, Pentecost is the Greek word for 50th. It's the 50th day. It's, it's a time of harvest. I want to talk about that for a minute. I share with you that Jesus ascended after 40 days, and that's why we know this is nine days later, because it's the 50th day when Pentecost is on the calendar. What is it tied to? 50 days after Passover, right? So it's this kind of moving celebration that depends on when they remember Passover, God's great mercy to his people, that then they celebrate this feast. But it's more than that. It's also a festival where they celebrate the end of one harvest, now listen, and the beginning of another harvest, so the first fruits harvest was known as the barley harvest. Now, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on this by any means, right? But I just did a little digging on it. And the first fruits harvest is the barley harvest that they would start at Passover. They would begin harvesting the barley, right? So they'd have this time of rest and remembrance of God, and then they would start working in the fields. The early harvest comes in. The labor, we talked, this is going to be so funny, how God tied all together, but the labor of the planting has now come to fruit in a crop, and they've manifest, they've, they've, they've harvested the crop, in the barley harvest. But then 50 days on, the barley harvest is over or ending, but the next harvest is coming, and it's the wheat harvest. And that's actually what is celebrated in what's called the festival of weeks, because you have about seven weeks <laughs> to get the barley out of the field, and then you have to move on to the wheat. 
So that's interesting to me, and I'm not going to go too far off the deep end on this, but it's interesting because what you have is you have a first harvest that lasts for 50 days, and then you have a celebration day where everyone stops working and has to praise God, you brought so much goodness into it, now let's get back to the fields because there's a whole new harvest that's going to happen. That's pretty cool. It's the wheat harvest. It's a great big deal in Israel. And so they come together for the feast of, boot, of, um, the feast of uh, weeks to celebrate the harvest, the first harvest and the second. And I hope you can already start to see the imagery that's being painted here by the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Um, who is our Passover lamb, raised from the dead, walks around for 40 days, and then about nine days later, you know, after he ascends into heaven, the second harvest begins. You'll remember... There was a first harvest. So the second harvest begins, just like for Israel. And so they're together, and by the way, they're together in Jerusalem as they were commanded to be, right? He says, stay in Jerusalem. Now here they are in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit on this holy day that everyone is there to celebrate. This is the time that everyone would be gathered in Jerusalem. It was one of three called um, pilgrimage feasts that you had to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Lord three times a year. And this will be the second time you've come back to Jerusalem to celebrate, right? We were just here seven weeks ago. Praise God, he's so good. Now let's get back out in the field and get to work. So this is known as Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, 50th day. I would be remiss if I didn't mention to you that the third harvest is known as the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And I mention this because the third harvest is a celebration of the the, 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 uh, the Finishing of the harvest. You get that? So there's three harvests. There's the first harvest for the early fruits. There's a second, har- there's a second celebration for the second harvest. And then there's a celebration at the end of all the harvest season for God's goodness. And it's known as the Feast of Booths. It's also a remembrance of God's care in those desert times. That he's always, you actually kind of make, you live in tents and you remember the times that you had so, such great need and now you have such abundance in God's provision. A celebration of the end of time. That should give us some kind of, I guess, a framework to consider what Pentecost is. It's the 50th day, but it's this beginning proclamation of a new harvest that we ought to pay attention to. Pentecost is about one more thing, and then we're going to jump back into the Word. And this is powerful. Pentecost was a time that the Jews remembered the day that God gave Torah on Mount Sinai. You hear They remembered on that festival the day that God had given the law, the good and perfect and beautiful law, when God had spoke to his people and said, obey these commands. That was celebrated on Pentecost for the Jews. But as you just heard in the text, God had bigger plans for Pentecost than that alone. But all that stuff becomes the model that we see manifest in Acts chapter 2. They're gathered together. It says what? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So that's what Pentecost is historically. But what is Pentecost? I want to talk to you about it. Maybe. (laughs) The second thing I want to share with you. Pentecost is sounds from heaven. It's sounds from heaven. So in Acts 2, listen to what the word says. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly this great noise started in the house where they were sitting, right? 
some things that you might think about. I mean, have you ever, have you ever heard a great violent noise? A great violent wind? Like, it's really funny because if you've ever thought about Pentecost, and maybe you're not like me, but maybe you are, I always thought Pentecost was like this time that the, that the wind blew through the space, you know? They're indoors and it's closed, and all of a sudden, you know, everyone's hair is going around and papers are going, you're like, what's happening? You know, it's like Twister in a building. Like, that's what you think's happening. But that's not what the word says. Look at what the word says in verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the great blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven. See, Pentecost primarily is about hearing heaven. Pentecost is about hearing this proclamation, knowing this new news, this new thing that God is doing. Let's not forget what we just learned, that Pentecost was a time to remember God's giving of the law. And now you're hearing heaven. What is the noise? I remember recently I was sitting inside my house and it was very windy out, right? Very windy. And you could literally hear the trees popping and cracking and branches hitting the roof, right? I mean, it sounds crazy. Get your attention. You start to pay attention. What is this? But it's bigger than that. See, it says it's a sound like a violent wind. It's like that, but it's not that. It's, it's, it's similar, but it's different. So there's a sound it's blowing. Maybe you've had that experience. And then, and then look at this. It says, the sound filled the whole house where they were sitting. See, that's why I always thought the wind was blowing around the house. That's not what it says. The sound, the sheer sound of heaven was surrounding the people of God to the point that they're like, what is this, right? What is it? And they don't even have a breath to take here, it seems, because it seems to just come one upon the other. Like these things start to happen. They're not prepared. Have you ever, I'm always amazed by this, because see, sometimes we're getting these conversations about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. We're not comfortable. We're like, man, what does that mean? I'm not like those people, you know, the Spirit thing. But have you, I've asked people all the time, and actually Ginger shared this morning, you know, she's like, I felt the Lord saying to me. Remember one time I was in a meeting with a bunch of uh, uh, leaders in a church, not Family Bible Church, but we were sitting around a table, and I said, do you guys know how God kind of talks to you sometimes? And, and, and every person, nine people, very conservative, very like, I'm not like those people kind of people. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, does that get you excited at all? I know some of you are nervous about it because you're like, well, it could be my crazy voice in my head. Yeah, it could be. It could be. That's why we check everything by Scripture. But it could be the Lord. And Time after time we talk. Wednesday night Bible said we were just talking about this. Do you remember when the Lord moved? I do remember the Lord said to do that. I know it was the Lord's, and I could tell in my obedience it was the Lord that said that. That's what Pentecost is. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a breath from heaven. He's a noise from heaven, right? Delivered to the people of God. I mean, if that doesn't get you excited, I'm not sure what will. To be able to hear the very sounds of heaven manifest on earth by the grace of God, not through our power or manifestation, not because we did anything, but because God just poured it out on his people. See, here's the application. You and I can hear heaven as believers in Jesus Christ. That ought to give us pause. We can hear it. The second thing that we see in verse 3, check it out. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Let's read that together. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So the first thing they do is they hear something. They're like, wow, that's amazing. Like, what is that? And then the second thing is they see something manifesting in the room. Then it says something, yeah, something that seemed to be, I was just trying to get the word there right, or it seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. The, the way this is actually in the Greek, not that I'm going to Greek out on you too much here, but I just want to say, it's divided tongues. That's what it says. As tongues divided and sitting, I love this by the way, and sitting on each of them. This is a testimony of what the Holy Spirit's Pentecost is like. Have you ever seen divided fire? Have you ever seen that? I want to, it's kind of funny, you go, no, not really, I've not seen divided fire, right? Have you ever had a fire pit in your yard? Or maybe you had a fire circle? Were you a Boy Scout, you rake all the stuff away? Have you ever had that, like, ember? I remember one time we were having this fire, we were burning a whole bunch of stuff because we're lunatics, it was out in the, out in the, uh, boonies you, can, you can't do it here anymore unfortunately <laughs> probably for good reason but we were having a fire and these flaming pieces were going off and they were landing like feet away like probably a hundred feet away and we were running over stomping out these little fires right maybe you've had that in your backyard where you start a little fire and it spread and it spread and it spread and it spread that's kind of interesting isn't it because on one hand you have one fire that's happening right there. It's very controlled. Oh, this cute little fire. Look at the little fire. And then all of a sudden, like the wind picks up and the fire gets big and the things float off and you go, I'm going to burn the neighbor's house down. Right? Have you had that moment? Come on, guys, live a little. Really? You should have that moment at least once. <laughs> like, if there's that moment you're not holding the little hose and thinking this is not going to do, you haven't lived. Come on. <laughs> this is going to be the big hose fire department, people. That's what you got to live for. See, that's what it's like. It's like they saw what appeared to be tongues, of the, a fire that divided and, and sat upon each person there. That's exactly what the word says. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated. You see, that's a separated tongue of fire and that then came to rest on each one of them. This is the unique, uh, interesting uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit of God at Pentecost, that the Spirit is united right? One spirit, but it's divided in as much as it rests on each person gathered. This is what I just shared with you about the old idea of an oracle of God who would set and pontificate about what God says. This is what God says, and everyone sets at his feet and go, ooh, listen to this one, right? The, the model for the church ministry is that God's Holy Spirit, the one fire is poured out and then it separates into each unique ministry opportunity. That's why all of a sudden you have the discernment of the church of God, that the people of God say, you know what, I think there's a need here, right? Like, I think God's calling me to meet this need. And all the people go, yeah, I see that same need. And you come together and you kind of draw these flames together to bring glory to God in some new way. It's a distribution of God's very presence and power amongst all his people. It's completely different than what had been before. Someone one time shared with me um, an Old Testament uh, story about someone who had the Spirit of God removed. And they said, isn't that scary? Because God could remove his Spirit from you. And I'm like, oh, that is scary. But when I look at the New Testament, I don't see that. 
I see that when God says you're mine and he anoints you with the Holy Spirit and you have the fire, that that fire, matter of fact, you'll remember even Paul when he writes to Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, you got a little bit of flame left, man. You got a little ember. It's not out yet. Blow on and fan it and get it back to flaming, you know? Like, it's not out. God hasn't abandoned you. Encouraging word to each of us, listen, have this gift from God that he has imparted to us, that he's apportioned to us. That's what the word says. God has given to each one as he saw fit. Jesus Christ has given to each believer the faith, the ministry, the spirit that he has for them. We ought to live in that place. The dividing of the Holy Spirit, divided tongues, speaking one voice. This is why we see unanimity in some things. That's just what I was thinking. Because that's the Lord at work. All right, check it out. Let's go one more verse in. Uh, Acts 2, 4. I can find it. Here we go. All of them, and here's the word, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as one enabled them. We're going to handle the first part of that here, which is all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that Pentecost means the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Pentecost means for the church. That's what it meant for the church then, and I would say that's what it means for the church now. I don't think that's a big risk to say it. I don't see anywhere in it says, well, we're done. Holy Spirit's done. You know, we can talk about that. I don't think that's the case. I've had some people very dismissively say it to me, and I get, I'm not, I know there's concerns about believing the only crazy voice in our head is the Lord. That's a problem. We ought to check everything, but I think it's too far to say, well, God's done with that. Where do you see it in Scripture? In fact, the Acts chapter 2 prayer of the Holy Spirit is only the beginning of the Spirit's ministry in the Bible. Everything that comes after that builds and builds and builds upon the great gospel of Jesus Christ, this Spirit-empowered ability to preach good news to the nations. The word here of fullness means to be filled, right? But it means to be fulfilled. This is what it means. And this is the experience I want to say to you. That it means that before you knew Jesus Christ as Savior, you were lacking and didn't even know it, right? Like, sinners who don't know Jesus are happy in their sin. Like, they're not bothered by their sin. And any bothering that's happening in the, in the, 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 the to-be believers' lives is only the Holy Spirit needling people saying, you've got a need for God, you've got a need for God, right? But you don't know what that need is. But here's the amazing thing. Many of us go, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then we stop right there. And we don't understand that in that believing moment, you've been fulfilled with the Holy Spirit of God. Not just filled up, but fulfilled. Your potential, your, your purpose, your plan in the moment of faith in Jesus Christ because nothing is done, that, nothing that he does is without purpose or effect. Is You are fulfilled. Look at what the word says. All of them were, and you can say, fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that thing people say like, oh, that God-shaped hole in your life? Yeah. But the problem with that conversation is many times you go, Jesus fits there and you're done. And Jesus is there. This is the Trinity thing. It gets a little hard, but that's the Spirit of God fitting in that spot. That's the fulfillment of God's intended, created purpose for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Fulfilled also means accomplished. It means that something is done and for every person and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that completes things. Another way you can translate it is supply. Supply every need. At the coming of the Holy Spirit, 
<laughs> like, that ought to encourage us. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, and they go, I just don't have the tool. I just don't have enough training. I just don't have the right gifts. And you're like, what? You have the Spirit of God living in you. I think we just don't know it. Like, I really believe that's true. I think if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know, Bill, I don't think I have that. You do have it. I've seen people who thought they didn't, who have done ridiculous, God-only ordained work because it's the Spirit of God working through them in obedience. It's true. So that's another thing, it's supply. And then the last is, it can be interpreted completion. That all were made complete in the Holy Spirit. It's that same idea that they were lacking. They didn't even know it. They've been following Jesus like for three years in their ministry, right? They were there. I mean, they've, they've been restored to ministry, but they're still incomplete. Like there's this idea that without the Holy Spirit's you know, anointing, that the ministry is not fully complete. Like it's not, it's not done, but it is. We just don't understand it. We don't understand that. So what's the application on this then? The application is that God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost is given to us to complete us, to fulfill God's purpose for us. Let me say that again, to complete God's intended purpose for us. That's why Paul spends so much time in the rest of the Bible writing to believers saying, obey the Spirit, not the flesh, because God has a purpose for you in faith in Jesus Christ. And we ought to know that reality. We ought to, we ought to want more of that reality. And that's why we feel that spiritual tug of war with the things of the world and the things of the Lord. And that's why that fight keeps happening because God says, this is mine. This is my purpose in your life. And then it's to give us, to complete us, to fulfill God's purpose for us and to supply us with his power. I just want to remind you again that Jesus said, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we're afraid of that, right? We're like, no, Jesus, you got all the power. That's what you were on the cross for. That's what, we're gonna give you all that power. We're not gonna, and, but the problem is that Jesus' teaching after he was raised from the dead is like, listen, you're gonna have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Fair enough, it freaks us out. But it's true. And as much as we advocate that responsibility and we say, oh, Lord, it's just me. I remember one time somebody said to me, I was a new believer, and they said, uh, hey, don't play like you're, you don't have power in the situation and I'm like I don't it's just little old me and he's like no you believe in Jesus Christ right the Holy Spirit dwells in you don't play that game don't make God less than he is spirit fulfilling the believers all were fulfilled all were fulfilled you can't find a place where it says that well God gave some everything and some nothing and just nothing's got to suck it up until the kingdom comes that's not what the scriptures say no they were all Got the fullness of the Spirit of God. And then the second part of that verse, which is great two for one here, is that um, they began to speak in other tongues. Listen to this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, right? So a couple of things pretty straightforward here is that they were able to speak in a tongue that was given to them by the Spirit, and it was for proclamation, the word here is very clear. Um, some would say that it gave them utterance, right? And it could, I even read one thing that said something like, is the sound of a horse makes? <laughs> but there's this other thing that's like a horse. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what the Spirit does? <laughs> but then there's this other thing that says that they were very eloquent in speech. As a matter of fact, you heard it. They were saying, these are just Galileans. How are they speaking in my native tongue? See, they have this gathering of the people for the feast, and they're all in Jerusalem. They hear the noise, they gather up, and they're like, how is this possible? We're hearing them eloquently speak these ordinary Galileans in our language. 
I've heard people who are believing in Jesus Christ say, well, I don't know what I would say. Listen to me. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Can you do that? I want to talk to my daughter. I want to talk to my son. I want to talk to my neighbor. I want to talk to my friend. I want to talk to this person at work. I, I feel the burden. I feel the Lord calling me to do it. I just don't know what I would say. Listen to me. Believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in the Holy Spirit. That in your moment of need, God's going to give you the words to say because the Spirit will enable you to speak. You will look back on the day and someone will say, but that was great that one time you did that one thing and you just say, man, that wasn't me. I remember that. Now, I can hear some, you know, that cynical voice. Like, well, that maybe you're just really good at speaking. Nah, not that good. <laughs> no. People say um, often, you know, three people approach me with the same issue. I can, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I can't tell you how many, uh, this happened multiple times, but there have been people who have come and shared things with me, and I said, I'm going to pray about that, and I've prayed about that. This is God's honest truth. I say that like a little trepidation, right? But it's absolutely God's honest truth. Um, and a lot of times, and I appreciate what Ginger shared, people end up with trust issues. When I tell you deep and hard things, they have trust issues. Fair enough. I mean, I get it, man. So the worst thing you can do is betray that trust. An hour, two hours, a day later, I get a call or a text. Who did you tell? I told nobody. I know you told somebody because this person and that person came up and they said these same things to me, blah, 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 and I have to go. It's the Lord. <laughs> now, here's the crazy thing. Well, that person believes or not, it's the Lord because <laughs> I didn't say nothing to nobody about it. God gathering in people to come and give utterance, to give a vocal, vocalization of God's intended purpose for someone, his love, his care for someone, as we heard this morning testify. You know, you are not forgotten. We still love you. And then they go, man, you're freaking me out. Yeah, it's the Lord, right? Like, he's after you. He loves you. I want to say something else, though. Look, as the Spirit enabled them. Our ability to speak is absolutely tied to the Holy Spirit's enabling to speak. You're afraid, well, I don't want to say something. That's a great concern to have. Say something stupid. That's a great concern to have. So pray. Ask God. God, not what I want to say, what you want to say. So many times, the most broken and goofy conversations where I go, what was that? I don't even know. Later, people say, that was exactly, that made such a difference for me. See, it's not about the one speaking, it's about the one being spoken to. And we become an opportunity for God, this voice from heaven, to speak into the world. I get the trepidation with it, but it's true. <laughs> we are given the ability, here's the application, we are given the ability to speak out and to declare the message of God's spirit to the world. You remember in the uh, book of Revelation, it says, the spirit says to the churches. <laughs> Like, there's this thing in Revelation where God's like, this is what the Spirit says to the churches, right? There's this, see, that's what I'm saying, like, oh, the cessation, that's all stuff. Really? Have you read Revelation? I think it's still there. We're given the ability to speak out and declare the messages of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And I mean, in a confining way, I'm not trying to put that, like, in a box for you so you can feel safe about it. Like, give an utterance. I've shared the story where people have just come up and just said things to me that God has used profoundly in my life. Because we're given the ability to speak to one another. And then picking up now in verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. We talked about that already. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are these not those who are, those who are speaking not the Galileans? Then how... 
is it that each of us hears them in his own language, right? The, the last thing is that Pentecost means all these things, but it means being amazed by God. Like if at the end of a Holy Spirit event, you're not just like going, wow, <laughs> that was crazy. You know, like that should be the normal response. And I know many times for believers, you go, I'm on the backside of the curtain with God, kind of. <laughs> you know, he's like speaking through the curtain, but you're not on the backside because you will stand at the curtain and go, wow, that was amazing. We heard the good report about the women's retreat this week, right? And the speaker is amazing. The speaker is amazing. And I guarantee you, the speaker is like, wow, you're amazing. Because because it's not about that, right? You stand amazed by God. Everyone stands amazed by God. And this is the truth, that in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's about God being glorified for who God is. You remember that um, Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law, Torah, and here it is, the giving of the Spirit, the new law written upon men's hearts that we might be obedient to him, that we might be transformed in this life that we're not looking at the list and we're going, what can I get away with and what can I do? But we're going, I want to live like Jesus. I want to live like God does. I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. See, it says that um, devout men from every nation were stirred up and marveled. It's an awakening. Wake up. Is that how you say that? Wake up. <laughs> it's God. They were amazed. They were woke. Everyone gets to be amazed by God. I want to close with an exercise here. Check it out. So, so lest you think this is just like uh, a thing, that ha you know, like just a theory or whatever, listen to what happens. Verse 9, Perinthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figuria, I can't say that, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Man, just listen to the list of who's gathered. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? But some made fun of these men and said they've had too much to drink this morning. So there's like drunkenness aspects of what's happening with the Spirit being poured out. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Do you know what I said? It gives you the ability to speak. This is Peter, right? Peter's like, I'm a mess. This is Peter just barely restored. And now he's like, let me stand up and tell you something. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. That was a good time to be anointed no this is what was spoken by the prophet joel in the last days god said i will pour out my spirit on listen to the word all people your sons and your daughters will prophesy that speak forth god's truths right your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams even on your servants both men and women i will pour my spirit in those days on your servants it's not for you alone it's for everybody and i'm pouring it out i will pour my spirit and they will prophesy my spirit i will show wonders in the heaven above listen and signs on the earth below the blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Like, that's, it's going to be amazing what's going to happen. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the season of harvesting. We talked about that. 
men of Israel, listen, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by you, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Like Sarai Peter's like, this is bad news, man. This is about Jesus, the guy that you killed. Here it is. But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold of him. Like the resurrection was inevitable. Jesus Christ could not be kept down. David said this about him. This is Peter's testimony. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not have abandoned me in the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this very day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we were all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and what you now hear. Like this is the manifestation of God's promise. You remember that Peter's talking to a bunch of Jews who are there for Pentecost, right? They're not ready for this. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We've covered that before here, family Bible. Check it out. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, that's ruler, master, and Christ, that's Messiah. Jesus is all in all. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said this, repent and be baptized, oh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What should we do? I feel it. What should we do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And read the line with me. I hope you're looking at the word. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see so many people say that to me. I don't think I have that. No, look. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all on whom the Lord will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for all those people so repent and be baptized, and you'll receive. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them. Man, that's like great. You can warn and plead people of the gospel, right? You can warn them like, hey, man, you're, on, you're going to hell without Jesus. Like, that's, an, that's one side. And the other side's like, please believe in Jesus. Please. I can't tell you sometimes. This is maybe not fair, right? But I can't tell you sometimes that the terror I get in my heart for people who just thumb their nose at God, and I was one of them. I was one of them. And it might be weird to be that guy that goes, I'm just, I'm just begging you to believe in Jesus. Not because he needs your pity, but you need his mercy. 
It says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, listened to the word, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. I've heard of people get excited about that in church circles, you know, like, that's how you start a church, you know, 120 to 3,000 in one day. Yeah, it's the Lord. Are we missing the point? It's God among us, every church. 3,000 were added that day, but then I want to finish with this. I said I'm going to finish once, but I'm really going to finish with this. I used to always love when the pastors would say we're finishing, so I'm like, all right, we're almost out of here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, I think we divorce that sometimes from the revelation of the Holy Spirit, right? We said, and then 3,000 were added, amen, and they all, we go home. But that's not, it says, that they devoted themselves to each other, a fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and to teaching. And everyone was filled with, there it is, folks, awe. Everyone, wow, look what God's doing. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by these apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold their possessions and their goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. Every day, now here, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Huh? They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were what? Being saved. <laughs> you get excited about 3,000 people came to faith in one manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the word says, and guess what? Every time they had a meal, someone else was saved. Every time they broke bread in their house, not the church, not the temple, tabernacle. Every time they were together, the Holy Spirit was on them, and people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my neighbors. Not that God, I mean, if God wants to do it, I don't, that's fine, right? Not that God would blow up Family Bible Church and be crazy, look at us, look at what we're doing, but that God's Holy Spirit's anointing would be upon each person who's believing, repent of their sin, been baptized in his name, that the Spirit be resting on you, that you would understand that. And then at your table, in a small way, that you're going to go, wow, it's the Lord. And I want to encourage you, that, folk, that person you have your heart on, you're like, God, I, I, I've just done everything. Don't know what else to do. Rely on the Holy Spirit. God, you are able to do this. Use me for this purpose. That you might stand in awe of God. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. We have an awesome God. Not, not safe. Not contained. And not at our disposal. Rather, we are at His. Pray with me. Father God, for my brothers and sisters today, myself, felt the quickening of your Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise. For the testimony, the good testimony of your scripture that says that you love your people enough to not abandon us to the grave, and indeed, not even to abandon us to this life. Father, we know that we have hope beyond the grave because of Jesus Christ, but would you help us to see we have hope right now because of the Holy Spirit of God? Would you help us to see that you have a portion, the portion of your spirit just for us? that we would stop making less of you than you are, that we would go forth and proclaim the good news that you've pressed into our hearts so deeply. 
I know, Father, that you have many here today that are hurting or wounded and they're coming from that place and they've begun to sense your healing. Would, would you heal them, Father God, in their journey? And then would you call us into that healing ministry huh, that we would give as freely as we received? That we would not sit idly by and say, well, I'm fixed and not concern ourselves with a brother or sister who's hurting in the same way. You are so good, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit's anointing would be known in the church. I pray that the discomfort that we have, I mean, and I know we have it, I have it, Father. I pray that discomfort would be laid at the foot of the cross to say that where else will we go? You have the very words of life, that we would have more faith in you than faith in ourselves. And that we would listen to you. I pray that if any of this is a man-made teaching, a manifestation of the flesh, that it would be thwarted by your Holy Spirit. You, I proclaim that you are more powerful than any fleshly adversary. But Father, if it's you, would you set us free to celebrate that? May you be glorified. We love you so much. I pray that your gospel go forth by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.